Welcome. I want to say a welcome to you as well. For those of you who don't know me, and I know we have a lot of guests and family members who are back here for the Christmas holiday, so welcome to you. Glad to see you. My name is Marcus. I am the new pastor here. Uh, excited to be here for our first Christmas season with you all. And, um, you know, one of my favorite traditions growing up was sitting in church and watching every Sunday as a new candle was lit. And I got more and more excited, almost like at the end of a ball game when you're in that five, four, three, two, one, and ah, everybody goes crazy on Christmas morning. And so come back Christmas Eve, we're going to light the center candle uh, and celebrate the climax of this whole season, and that is the birth of Jesus Christ. And um, I know for some of you, when you see these candles getting lit one at a time, you'll say, oh no, there's only one more week left. Oh no, and, and the tension goes up. But I want you to realize this morning that as we celebrate Christmas together and as things are winding down now towards the final day, towards Christmas Day itself, that we're gathered together here this morning to rest in the peace that Jesus Christ alone brings. Uh, we're going to talk this morning about how he is the Prince of Peace. And so I want you this morning to take a breath, take a deep breath, and just listen to what God wants to say to you uh, from his word. You know, another favorite tradition I have at Christmas is the music. So thank you, Miguel, and, and our whole worship team for leading us these last few weeks. Absolutely. Because I think uh, anytime we sing worship, we are able to, to really internalize that truth in a way that just stays there, resonates with us. We can take it with us all week long and sing it over and over again to ourselves. But especially at Christmas, the truths that we've been hearing about Jesus Christ, the newborn King. Oh, come, let us adore him. Uh, fall on your knees, the song we just heard, because he alone is worthy. There's another song uh, that we didn't sing this morning, but I want to read just the lyrics of this. This is one that I've thought of many times. I'm not going to sing it for you, don't worry, so you can breathe another sigh of relief. Uh, but the song, Mary, Did You Know? And just think about what was going through Mary's mind as she knew that she was about to give birth to this Messiah, to this newborn king. But listen to the words of this song. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? The child that you've delivered will soon deliver you. Did you know that your baby boy will give sight to a blind man? Did you know that your baby boy will calm a storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? When you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. What an amazing song. And, and really, as we jump back into our text this morning, Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, what I think we're going to see is that really there's some really basic questions that I'm sure the original readers were asking. They were saying, what in the world is going on here? Another Christmas song we have is, what child is this? And I'm sure that when the original audience heard these verses that we're about to look at from Isaiah chapter 9, they said, what kind of child are we talking about here? And praise be to God, since the coming of Christ, we know what kind of child he was. And so this morning, we want to celebrate that and look at these verses. If you will, this morning, I want you to stand up and let's read these verses together. There's only two of them. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. So let's all read together, follow along on the screens, and let's read it out loud. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. As I said before, when Isaiah spoke those words, you can just imagine the people sitting there saying, what kind of child is this? And that's another beautiful Christmas song that we've sung uh, throughout these weeks. What child is this? What kind of child is this? And I think there are really two basic questions that everyone who heard those words originally would have asked. And the first one is this. You see it there in your bulletin. Why is this child called the everlasting king? Why is this child called the everlasting king um, or the everlasting father? Uh, we see, I think, a few things. When you think about the word father... And you think about the fact that this child is going to be called Everlasting Father. Um, the word father can bring up a lot of different images in our mind, can't it? Uh, sometimes, for some of you, you may think of a father and you may say, my father was the strongest person I knew, a rock in my life. He trained me in the ways of the faith. He trained me how to grow, how to become a functioning human being. But for others of us, uh, there may be some, some gaps in that. When you hear the word father, you think of a broken person. Somebody who lets you down, maybe even who left you. Um, but what I would encourage you this morning, when you hear the word that this child has come to be the everlasting father uh, and to do this thing, uh, I want you to think about a perfect father, a perfect father without flaws. Uh, and, and for some of us, that's easier to imagine than others. But I want us to just think about what does that mean this morning that this child came to be the everlasting father. And what I think we realize first when you think about what Jesus is, is predicted to do is that we see that he brings the Father's presence into our lives. That's the first thing we see about him being the everlasting Father, that he is coming to bring God's presence into our lives. A couple chapters earlier, in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, uh, we see this one guy, King Ahaz. Okay, He's the king at the time, and, and he's making mistake after mistake after mistake. And so God says to him, I'm going to give you a sign. Uh, 714 Isaiah 7 verse 14 says this therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel now here's a little Hebrew lesson for you since that word is in the text Emmanuel in Hebrew means God with us you've heard the word Elohim or El so Imanu means with us and El means God so the idea is here is God says I'm going to send you a child whose name is God with us so this, this child who's going to be called the everlasting father is the child who will bring God's presence to us. We see this fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. It says, uh, this is immediately after the angel comes and talks to Mary, okay, and, uh, and to Joseph and says, guess what? Mary's going to have a baby. Uh, she's going to have a son. You're going to call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And then the angel says this, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And then it translates it, which means God with us. So Matthew, in his account of the birth of Jesus Christ, says those verses back in Isaiah chapter 7 and in chapter 9 where we are today, those are referring to one person, this child named Jesus Christ. Going ahead to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, 
And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. You know, this is another interesting thing. Uh, Every gospel talks a little bit about the coming of Christ. When John talks about it, he says this person, who's also called the Word, comes into the world. What does it mean that he calls him the Word? Think about a word is a message, right? Uh, And so when you receive a word from God, he's giving you a message. And guess what? God's message comes to us in himself, in a person. Jesus is the message. Jesus is the word from God. And so uh, this person called Jesus comes and brings the Father's presence. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We've talked over the last couple weeks about how this world has a lot of darkness, doesn't it? A lot of darkness in this world. And Jesus comes in as the light of the world. That's one reason we have candles, I think, at Christmas time to remind us of the light that Jesus brings. And I love that verse in John 1. It says that when Jesus came into the world, he brought the Father's light and the light has not, and the darkness has not overcome it. What a beautiful promise from God. And then, uh, John chapter 1, verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, what we see when Jesus comes is the presence of God coming to dwell with us through this person named Jesus Christ. And so He's the everlasting Father because He brings the presence of the Father to us. And here's something else that we want to be looking at this morning. Jesus, in his own words, has a lot to say about these things from Isaiah. Uh, And Jesus, in his own words, in fact, Jesus, at the very end of his life, after he was crucified, after he was buried, after he was resurrected, just before he went back into heaven, said something about the Father's presence, about his presence. Matthew 28, verse 20. These are some of the last words Jesus said while on earth. He said, and lo, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So what I want us to see this morning, what we can't miss uh, from Isaiah chapter 9, is this idea of the Father's presence. So whether the original readers or you this morning are sitting there saying, why is this child called the everlasting Father? First of all, it's because he brings the Father's presence into our lives. We're going to talk a little more at the end about how that happens But when you think about God's presence, the presence that comes through Jesus Christ, I want you to think about two two questions. I would just encourage you to take these two questions home with you. These are valuable questions, I think, to ask yourself every day. If if you're married, you you and your spouse could share these. If you have a friend, you could uh, ask each other these questions each day. I think these are important things to ask. The first question is this, is where did you sense God's presence today? Where did you sense God's presence today? Another way of saying that is where was God's presence most visible in your life today? Uh, and, and hopefully you can answer that question that I saw God provide this or God encouraged me through this friend who spoke a word from, from him at just the right time. Whatever the case may be, it's important. I think this is a very important exercise for God's people is to say, where have I seen God's presence in my life today? Where have you seen his presence today? And then the other one that I would say uh, is kind of the other side of that coin. The second question is, where did you sense God's absence today? 
Uh, now, I have to qualify this. If you're God's child, remember God says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's actually not gone. But we do find ourselves sometimes wandering and experiencing distance from God. You may have heard the question, if you feel like uh, God is distant from you, guess who moved, right? Uh, we, we are the ones who move away from him. He does not move away from us. And so I would encourage you to ask those two questions and think about this, especially now as we think about this, this baby Jesus who came to be the everlasting father, to bring the presence of God into our lives permanently. Ask yourselves those questions. Where have you sensed his presence in these days? And I think that's the first part of this question, but uh, not only do we want to see the Father's presence that came in with Jesus, but also the Father's work. We see that Jesus accomplishes the Father's work. And so when you think about the idea of Jesus being the everlasting or being called the everlasting Father, that means that he is accomplishing the Father's work. And Jesus has a lot to say about this as well. But first of all, in the book of Isaiah, we want to look at what Isaiah talks about as the Father's work. Isaiah 63, uh, verse 16. Here's a little saying. Uh, this is later in the book. Isaiah is, is recording uh, a message from the people that are talking to God. It says, For you are our Father, though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us. O Lord, are, are you, O Lord, are our Father. Our Redeemer from of old is your name. See, one of the things you see in the Old Testament is that God has two primary works that he does. The first one is creation. You see that early in the, in the Old Testament. And the second thing that he's really well known for is redemption. Because he created people and these people made mistakes and need redemption. And so right here we see that this father is a father who redeems. Well, who else but Jesus could bring this work of redemption to completion? Second verse from Isaiah uh, chapter 64, verse 8, it says, But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. So both of those places later in Isaiah, when we think about what is the father's work, what does it talk about God the father doing? One is creating. Uh, the second is, is uh, redeeming. Both of those things are mentioned in Isaiah. And guess what? Jesus alone is the one who accomplishes those things uh, when we get to the New Testament. Uh, look at John chapter 6, verses 38 through 40. It says this, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. What we see here is Jesus participating, Jesus carrying out the work of redemption. Jesus says, the work that my Father has given me is to come down from heaven and to do his work. And what is that work? It's to bring people to him so they can experience eternal life. Because apart from Jesus... You have nothing. So when Jesus says, I've come down from heaven to do my father's work, realize this. He is doing the work of creation. He's doing the work of redemption. He's redeeming you through his death. And guess what? Once you become a follower of Jesus Christ, once you trust in him, he says, I love you too much to leave you the way you are. Second Corinthians five seventeen. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old has gone. 
the new has come. And so you see Jesus carrying forth this work of the Father. When he's called in Isaiah 9, the everlasting Father, we see that he's carrying forth the Father's work. Uh, John 14, 9, again in Jesus' words, Jesus says this, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. This is a really important thing for us to realize at Christmas time, is that Jesus and the Father never work separately from each other. Jesus comes to do the work of the Father. And, and as he comes to earth and becomes a human being, he does the work of the Father in a way that no other person ever could. And I love these verses from Jesus saying, I'm here to do my Father's work. And what is that work? It's to save every person that the Father has for me to save. So why is this child called the everlasting Father? I believe it's for these two reasons. Because he brings the Father's presence into the world and into our lives. And he also brings the Father's work to completion in the world. And that is the work of redeeming us and creating a new creation a whole generation of people who will serve him for eternity. What's the takeaway from this first part of this? I want you to realize this very simple thing is that God is still working. God is still working in the world today. It's easy to think, you know, when Jesus Christ came, what an amazing story. God became a human. God did amazing things back then. He did miracles. Jesus healed people. Uh, He set people free from sickness. He forgave their sins. Well, brothers and sisters, I want to tell you this morning that God is still working through Jesus Christ. And that's the beauty of Christmas is that Jesus came into the world and he's still here with us by the presence of his Holy Spirit. And he is still working. And I think the invitation for us is that God says, uh, I'm the everlasting father. I've sent my son, Jesus Christ. We are working together to accomplish redemption. Join me in this work. Join me in this work. Work with me to accomplish these things. Uh, We have this thing in Matthew that's called the Great Commission where God said to every person who knows me, I want to send you out so that you will make more disciples, make more people to follow me uh, and know me and come to follow me. Um, We do that through missions. We do that through sharing your faith with the people around you. You do that in your family as you share your faith with your children. But God says, join me in the work that I'm doing proclaiming the redemption, proclaiming the salvation from sin. Join me. God is still working, and he asks us to join him. Uh, By one way of commendation, I would just say thank you for the offerings that you gave to our missionaries over the last couple weeks. That's one little example of how we as a church can join God in the work that he's doing, encouraging our missionaries at this time and giving them just a little gift at Christmas. So thank you for your generosity in doing that. But at the end of the day, when we think about Jesus being called, this child being called the everlasting father, um, we know that God is still working through him and he calls us to join him. But I think the other question we have to ask is, uh, you know, there's another title in there and it's the Prince of Peace. And so I'm sure everyone, when they heard this prophecy from Isaiah, would have said, why is he called? What is this child? Who is he? And why is he called the Prince of Peace? And uh, that's what we want to look at for a couple more uh, uh, minutes here this morning. And, and the first thing I would say is this, is that Jesus comes, this child is coming to bring a different kind of peace, a different kind of peace. You know, if you think about the word peace, 
Uh, you might think about, uh, oftentimes I think we think about the lack of peace that we see in the world today, right? If you look at all the politics all over the world, you can name a continent, name a country, there's going to be some kind of conflict there, whether it's political, there might actually be wars going on. Uh, so we think about there's really no peace worldwide, is there? Uh, we also think about in our families, right? Uh, you know, sometimes people say holiday season can be some of the most stressful times in families. Uh, you've got the normal life of family. Then you add in buying Christmas gifts and people who don't like their gifts and people who wanted something different. Plus, you spent more money on those gifts than you ever should have anyways. There's a whole lack of peace that goes on at this time of year. And yet, this child is called a prince of peace. But guess what? He brings a different kind of peace, not just the absence of conflict. You know, we would think, well, in my marriage, if I just had peace, if I could have peace with my wife, then we wouldn't fight anymore. And we would just have the absence of conflict. But when we talk about peace in scripture, we're talking about something a lot deeper than just the absence of conflict. Uh, The word shalom uh, is a word that describes the perfection, the wholeness, the completeness Really the idea that everything is as it should be. And guess what? We live in a world where everything is not as it should be. And yet when it says that that this child is coming to be the prince of shalom, the prince of peace, that means that one day he will make everything right. Everything will be like it's supposed to be. What a great hope we have in that. So it's a different kind of peace, a wholeness, a completeness that Jesus will one day bring. And you might be saying, well, hold on a second. Jesus has already come. Then why aren't we experiencing that yet? Um, Well, we know he will come again. And at the end of all time, God says all these things will be made right. We're going to come back to that as well. Why is this child called a prince of peace? Because he brings a different kind of peace. Here's Jesus in his own words again. Here's the prince of peace himself talking about why he came. John 14, verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And he goes on to say some amazing things there in John 14. But at the bottom line, at the end of the day, when you look at this, Jesus says, not as the world gives do I give to you. How does the world give? The world gives things, promises things that it really can't deliver. Am I right? The world says, I can give you what you need to be happy. I can give you what you need to be at rest and peaceful. And guess what? When you take whatever it is the world that is offering, it might make you feel good for a season, whether it's pleasure, money, possessions, a relationship, whatever it might be. But God says, that can never give you true peace. I give to you not as the world gives, but I give to you as the Father gives. And he offers us true peace, completeness, wholeness, especially in our relationship with him. John 16, 33, another verse from Jesus. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I love this verse because Jesus doesn't promise us that if we come to know him, if we know him as our savior, he doesn't say your life's going to be easy from here on out. I'm going to give you peace. You'll have no more conflict, nothing. No, he says, I'm giving you a different kind of peace, an inner peace, a relational peace, a peace with God. Prior to, to Jesus coming, prior to knowing Jesus, God tells us that we are enemies to God. 
Apart from Jesus, we are enemies with God. We're going to see more about this in our series in the new year. We're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians, which talks about what happened in order to give us peace with God. And we're going to look more in depth at this Prince of Peace. The series is going to be called The Grace Effect, because when Christ came and when you experience grace, it affects everything, everything. And so Jesus says to us, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And he leaves his peace with us, our peace. We can have peace with God because of Jesus, and we can also have peace with one another, or we can have healing in our relationships. Remember, Jesus Christ is the great healer. So why is this child called the Prince of Peace? I think it's first of all because he brings this different kind of peace this shalom, this completeness, this wholeness that we know we will one day experience. And we get a taste of it in this life right now. But secondly, it's because he is a different kind of ruler, a different kind of ruler. Again, if you read through the first 12 chapters of Isaiah or so, it's an amazing show of failed leaders. In fact, uh, I think if you flip back to Isaiah chapter 1, Isaiah chapter 1, I love Isaiah's introduction here. Isaiah 1 verse 1, just to give you a little picture of what's going on during the time of Isaiah's being written. He says, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah. So right there, he names off four kings that are ruling during his lifetime and during his ministry as a prophet. And so when you see him naming off those kings right away, that tells you that this next ruler is going to be a different kind of ruler. Because what happened to every one of those four guys? They died. I was going to throw a picture up, but I didn't have time to find a good one that was good enough quality. A picture of all the presidents of the United States. Anybody know how many we've had so far? 45, I believe. And there are five living. uh, And all the 40 who are not living have something in common, right? They're not living. That's what happens to humans. They die. That's what happens to rulers of the world. They die. And yet this person, this child, is going to be a different kind of ruler. A different kind of ruler. Back in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, it says, Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth, And forevermore. The idea here is that he is eternal. The same thing, the same idea of the everlasting father. He is going to be a ruler who comes, whose reign never ends. That's a different kind of ruler. Uh, Jesus himself, I don't have these verses on the screen, but Jesus comes uh, in Mark chapter 10 and he's talking about his ministry and he says, um, don't be like the rulers of the people because you all know what kind of rulers they are. It says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And then he describes himself, Mark ten forty five. Jesus says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was a different kind of ruler. He came to give himself up, not to protect himself, not to gain riches and wealth, but he came to give himself up for me and for you. He's a different kind of ruler. 
We see some of this. Uh, here's an interesting passage. Jesus, in his own words again, at the very end of his life, at the very end of his life, you know, it's interesting as we talk about the end of Jesus' life at Christmas. You know, at Christmas time, we have a manger scene over here with a stable and a manger uh, and all the shepherds and wise men gathered around. But we only put that up one time of year, right? Just kind of for a month at Christmas and we put up all the Christmas decorations. But you know what decoration we leave up year round is this cross right behind me. Because this cross is the thing that gives us hope for all eternity. And when Jesus says, when you think of what kind of king I am, I want you to think about the cross. In fact, uh, Jesus at the very end of his life, when he was under trial in front of Pontius Pilate, uh, John chapter 18, he's having this conversation with Pilate, the man who has the power to kill him or set him free. And what does Jesus say to him? Jesus answers him, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. And then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So you see, I believe that that Jesus is a different kind of ruler. And yet his voice is a voice that says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the invitation from Jesus, this great Prince of Peace. He offers us peace that we could never find on our own. Peace that we could never buy on our own. Peace that we could never deserve on our own. You see, Jesus Christ is called the Prince of Peace because he comes and he speaks to us. He says, listen to my voice and learn from me. Why is this child called the Everlasting Father? I think it's because he brings the presence of the Father and he does the work of the Father. Why is this child called the Prince of Peace? I believe it's because he is a different kind of ruler. A different kind of ruler and he brings a different kind of peace. A peace that you can experience. Peace with God. But I think the third and maybe most important question that we can ask, not just about the text, but about how the text affects us is this. Have you experienced his coming? This morning, I want to ask you that. Have you experienced Jesus' coming? When we talk about the season of Advent, Advent is a word that means coming. So we remember for four weeks at least that Jesus Christ came into the world. We think about the longing that people had for him to come into the world. And I would ask you this, has he come into your life? Have you experienced his coming? I think there's an initial coming that he does. When he comes, uh, what we're talking about is when you surrender to him and say, Lord, I trust you. I know that I'm flawed on my, on my own. I cannot do anything to have a relationship with God. In fact, I know that I'm God's enemy. But Lord, I believe that because of Jesus Christ, the penalty for my sins has been paid. And when we tell him that, when we express that, when we trust him to forgive our sins, that's when this relationship with God begins. That's when you begin to experience his coming. So have you experienced that? If you haven't, talk to someone here today. What a great day to come to know the Prince of Peace. But if you have done that, if you would call Jesus your Savior, maybe you've known him for years, almost your entire life, I still ask you the same question. Have you experienced his coming? 
Because I think that Jesus wants to come into our life every single day. He wants his presence to be with us every single day. And is that something that you are experiencing on a regular basis? Because the good news is Jesus came to save us when he was born. The next piece of good news is that he still comes into our lives. He is present in our lives if you know him as your savior. He comes into your life every single day and he is a part of your life every day and he wants to work with you to create a new person. And that third piece of good news is that he will come again. And we read the end of that uh, verse, uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. He's going to establish his throne and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So have you experienced his coming? Have you invited him to come into your life? If you have, then continue to experience his presence with you as your Savior. And I would just invite you to welcome him every day. And the last thing I would say is, again, the words of this, another, another uh, Christmas song. Uh, this would be the Hallelujah Chorus. Um, and, and one thing that I think we can realize is that when we talk about Jesus coming as a different kind of ruler, is that he's not just a king among kings. He is the king of kings and Lord of lords. And he is the one who says to you, come unto me and I will give you rest. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, who is called the everlasting father, the prince of peace. And Lord, I pray that every individual in this room would know his peace. And God, I pray that as we go out from here and then as we return again on Christmas Eve to celebrate this birth, um, God, we pray that, that you would make us aware of your coming and aware of your presence each and every day. And God, I thank you for your son. Thank you for this chance to celebrate together as a church. Pray that you would go with us as we go out from here. In your name we pray. Amen.